exactly 10 years ago, just as I was turning 20, I was right in the middle of the darkest and hardest and most confusing season of my life. And I'll spare you all the details of that this morning because I actually plan on sharing some of those details in an upcoming sermon. So I'll just say now that uh, during this season of my life, I was so depressed and so discouraged and so lonely and so baffled by just how unbearable life had become for me. And during this season of my life, the last place I wanted to be was at church. Not because I didn't love the Lord, but because in my mind, the church was just full of happy people whose lives were mostly put together and who couldn't possibly have the same kinds of problems in their lives that I had in mine, which I've come to learn is absolutely untrue. But at the time, I really believed it. And so I spent many miserable months feeling like the black sheep of the church family that nobody else could possibly understand or relate to. And then I don't remember exactly how this came about, but for some reason I started reading through the Psalms every morning. And I was just utterly shocked by how painfully honest these psalmists were as they described the realities of what it's like to live in this broken and fallen world under the curse of sin, and they sugarcoated nothing. They swept nothing under the rug. They were so open and transparent about how miserable life really is at times and about how distant God can feel from us at times and about how hard we have to fight for hope in God at times. And man, I'll tell you, these psalms really comforted me in this dark season of my life because, well, at the very least, they showed me that I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. And, and one of these psalms that stood out in particular and which I have thought about often for years is Psalm 42 which we're gonna be looking at this morning. And I just wanna say this before we look at it, okay? If you are in a season of your life right now where perhaps you're feeling like the black sheep of the church family, or you're feeling the weight of this fallen world upon you, or you're feeling distant from God, or you're growing weary, or you're losing hope, then I think you'll find some comfort in this psalm because it will be so relatable. So relatable. And it will show you that you're not alone and that there is hope for you still. So let me pray for us and then we will open up the word together, okay? Oh, Lord God, may we behold wondrous things from your holy, inspired, inerrant word this morning. Lord, I have no idea of the kinds of hurts and pains and fears and failures and discouragements that people have come into this room with this morning, but you do. 
You do, Lord. And, and Lord, if even just an ounce of the comfort and encouragement that I've experienced reading this passage is, is imparted to my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, I know that their souls will leave this room rejoicing and full of hope. So Lord, I just pray, please, please do that, Lord. Please do that in us, your people, whom you love so deeply. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in it to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42, it should be somewhere right around the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 42. Okay, and in your Bible, you'll see that the Psalm is titled, Why Are You Cast Down, O My Soul? To the choir master, the worship leader, essentially, a maskal, an instructional psalm, and then the author is one of the sons of Korah, okay? And these guys were the temple songwriters for Israel, okay? And this is what the psalmist writes. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Oh, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. Yet I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So in this psalm, I think we see three main things. And so I came up with this simple, easy to remember, uh, basically thematic outline. The problem, the effects, the fight. The problem, the effects, the fight. So in this psalm, we see a problem, the problem the psalmist problem. Then we see the effects of that problem, and then we see the psalmist's fight, the fight for hope in God, okay? The problem, the effects, the fight. So let's first look at the problem. The problem, what is the psalmist's problem? Look again at verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
So there are actually two parts to this problem, okay? There's the, the obvious part of the problem, which is that the psalmist's enemies are taunting him and are saying to him continually, where is your God now? That's the obvious part of the problem. Okay, then, then there's the less obvious part of the problem, which is somewhere in the background, which is whatever the circumstances are which have become the occasion for this taunting and teasing. Okay, in other words, the psalmist is being taunted and teased because something has happened to him. And we're not told exactly what that thing is, but it's obviously pretty bad because these words, his enemy's words are really getting to him. They're piercing and painful words, like a deadly wound in his bones. I think the psalmist has probably experienced some kind of personal tragedy. And now his enemies are taking the opportunity to poke at the wound, to hurt him even more. Which leads us to the second part of our outline, the effects. The effects, so what are the effects of this problem, this, this personal tragedy and continual wound poking? Well, in my reading, I count five effects of this problem. Okay, five effects. Number one, spiritual dryness. Spiritual dryness. Look again at verses one and two. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So don't get this wrong. This is not a uh, Hallmark card or a Norman Rockwell painting kind of scenario, okay? This is not an image of a deer serenely sipping from streams of water with butterflies and rainbows in the background. That's not the picture here, okay? The picture is that of a thirsty, desperate, dying deer in search of water, but not finding any. That's how the psalmist is feeling. He's experiencing a spiritual drought of the soul where God's life-giving presence feels distant and elusive. Okay, spiritual dryness. Number two, loss of appetite. Loss of appetite. Look again at verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. He's not eating. He's lost his appetite. Classic sign of depression. Loss of appetite. Number three, lack of sleep. Lack of sleep. Look again at verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. He's not sleeping. He can't even cry himself to sleep. Lack of sleep. Number four, despair. Despair, look again at verse six. My soul is cast down within me. His soul has hit rock bottom. His soul has sunk to the lowest low within him. Despair. And number five, belief in the lies of the enemy. Belief in the lies of the enemy. Look again at verse nine. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
What was it that his enemies were saying? Yeah, they were saying, where is your God? And what's, what's the lie behind that rhetorical question? Yeah, maybe it's something like, your God has abandoned you. Or, your God has finally given up on you. Or, your God must have forgotten you. All lies that the psalmist is not only starting to believe, but is now quoting back to God in his prayers. Yeah, Lord, why have you forgotten me? So the psalmist is experiencing spiritual dryness, loss of appetite, lack of sleep, despair, belief in the lies of the enemy. I told you this psalm was gonna be relatable. Right? Because we've all been there at one time or another. We've all experienced times of spiritual drought where it feels like our prayers are evaporating as soon as they leave our lips and we just don't feel near to God anymore. And we've all had those times where we feel so sick to our stomachs that we don't even wanna eat because we cannot cope with what we've done or with what's been done to us or with what's been done to the ones we love. And we've all had trouble falling asleep at night, right? Replaying conversations or situations in our heads over and over and over. Or worrying about the future and what might or might not happen. And we've all had moments of utter despair where we have felt like absolute failures or frauds or freaks, or fools, or weaklings, or letdowns, or losers. And we've all believed the lies of the enemy himself, Satan, who would have us all believe in our darkest moments that God has forgotten us, or has finally given up on us. We've all been there. And some of us may be there right now, and so, what should we do when we are there in that place? Well, that brings us to the last part of our outline, the fight. The fight for hope in God. Now, now before I outline the ways the psalmist fights for hope in God, let me be real honest with you. Um, Fighting for hope in God is often not the way we naturally react to our problems and their effects in our lives. Let me say that one more time. Fighting for hope in God is often not the way we naturally react to our problems and their effects in our lives. So remember that time you went to the doctor and you got hit right below the knee with that little triangle thing? Remember what happened when the doctor did that? Before you even knew it, your leg went, right? It was an involuntary, natural, literally knee-jerk reaction to being hit right there. Well, in a similar way, I think that our problems and their effects in our lives are kind of like that little triangle thing, right? And, and when we get hit in life, sometimes we react without even thinking. 
And we're not even aware of what we're doing until we're already doing it. And, and some of those knee-jerk reactions we have to our problems are things like denial. Denial. We convince ourselves that the problem really isn't a problem because, and then this is what we say to ourselves, because I'm tougher than that. Because I don't let things get to me. Because I've got a spine and I don't make excuses. Denial, it's viewing ourselves as so much bigger and badder than our problems that in comparison, they're not really problems at all. But at the end of the day, it's not confidence in God. It's confidence in me. Denial. And another knee-jerk reaction we have to our problems is distraction, right? Distraction. We preoccupy ourselves with something else in hopes of avoiding the problem altogether. It's, it's always keeping our schedules full and busy so that we literally just don't have time to even think about our problems. It's always keeping our headphones on, playing music or podcasts so that we're never left alone with our own thoughts. It's working all the overtime that our boss can possibly give us so that we can stay away from home as long as possible. It's binging a whole season of a Netflix show in one day. Or scrolling through social media on our phones for hours and hours and hours and hours. Distraction, it's it's perpetual, intentional preoccupation with something, anything other than our problems. And another knee-jerk reaction we have to our problems is self-medication. Self-medication. We take something or we do something to make ourselves feel good when that problem is making us feel so bad. It's turning to porn or trashy hookup dating apps when we're longing for intimacy. It's eating all the food in the refrigerator when we're feeling emotionally empty. It's going out drinking or secretly sipping drinks privately to drown our sorrows. It's it's smoking something that will blast us into the stratosphere to escape our misery. It's doing things to get people's attention when we're feeling invisible. And it's doing things to get people's approval when we're feeling worthless. It's doing things to get people's sympathy when we're feeling like nobody even cares. Self-medication. It's it's any attempt to escape the pain of our problems without actually addressing the problems themselves. And still another, another knee-jerk reaction we have to our problems is trying to fix it ourselves. Trying to fix it ourselves. We, we tackle our problems by our own power or our own grit or our own wit, 
or our own plan instead of trusting in and relying upon the sovereign God of the universe. Who, by the way, may have allowed these problems to come into our lives in the first place so that we will respond to them by coming to him and by crying out to him and by casting our cares upon him, involving him in the situation. I don't know about you, but sometimes fighting for hope in God is the last way I respond to my problems after I've exhausted every other conceivable option, denial, distraction, self-medication, trying to fix it myself, all those things that I have tried over and over and over to no avail and yet find myself, find myself foolishly still trying because they're much, much easier than fighting for hope in God. So what I'm saying is that if we really want to deal with our problems, if we really want to deal with that diagnosis or with that child who's gone astray or with that loved one we've lost or with that way that we've really just messed up big time, if we really want to deal with our problems, we are going to have to do the unnatural thing. The supernatural thing, really. We are going to have to fight for hope in God. We are going to have to fight for hope in God. And so how does the psalmist fight for hope in God? Well, I see him doing five things in particular, and these will be our five applications this morning. And I'll phrase it this way. In our fight for hope in God, we must, number one, long for God. Long for God. So interesting, did you notice this? In verse one, the psalmist never asks for his problems to be taken away. Did you notice that? He never does. And he he never says anything like, oh, I'm just longing for things to go back to normal. Or, oh, I'm just thirsty for relief from these problems. Or, oh, I'm just panting for a blessing right about now. Now, I'm sure he was feeling all of those things, and those are perfectly fine things to desire, but you see, for the psalmist, they weren't the main thing he was desiring. No, the psalmist says, Lord, I want you. Lord, I long for you. Lord, I pant for your presence. Oh Lord, I just wanna be near to you. Pull me close, show me your face. A couple years ago, and I've shared this before, a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And I was just utterly floored. And I couldn't believe that a guy like me, who was young and physically active and who ate pretty stinking healthy, I couldn't believe that I had any physical problems, let alone a disease problem. And I gotta be honest, 
When I got the diagnosis, the first thing I found myself praying was not, oh Lord, I just want to be near to you. Oh Lord, pull me close to you. No. My first prayer was, Lord, please, please take this thing away from me. Right? Lord, please heal me. Lord, you can do it. You can do anything. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. But after a couple years, it's still here. And it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. And I'll be honest, there are times when it's made me really fearful about the future. But it has left me longing for God. Oh, it really has. And man, there are times in my life where just being near to God, knowing that he is with me and that he cares for me and that he loves me has just filled my hope tank like nothing else. It really has. And and you know what, what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I was a little kid and I had night terrors. Anyone else here had night terrors before? Am I really the only one? Oh my goodness. Okay, there we go. And uh, you know this. It would have been really great to have never had those, right? Obviously. But were it not for those night terrors, I, I wouldn't have this one particular childhood memory of my dad holding me in his arms on my bed as I'm coming out of a night terror, whispering to me that it's gonna be okay because he's here now. Daddy's here now and he loves me. And man, I wouldn't trade that memory for anything. And what a picture. What a picture of the comfort of the presence of our Heavenly Father even in our darkest moments. And the psalmist knows that comfort. And so in his darkest moments, he longs for God. He longs for God. We must long for God. Number two, second application. In our fight for hope in God, we must remember the joy of worshiping God with the people of God. Remember the joy of worshiping God with the people of God. Look again at verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, the multitude, the people of God, and lead them in procession to the house of God, the temple, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So the the psalmist is remembering those times when it was such a joy. It it brought such gladness to his heart, singing in worship with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you know, I was just thinking about this. There are certain Sunday mornings, especially in the last couple years, there are certain Sunday mornings that I have burned into my memory and which were really special to me because of certain situations we were going through at the time. Like that first Sunday back after months of being in lockdown. That was special. That was special. Or you remember that Sunday when we were all still singing outside and right before 10 o'clock it started pouring down rain? 
and the speakers and my guitar, everything's getting wet, it's just a disaster. And so the call was made to bring worship back inside and I got up on stage and said, well, it looks like we're back inside. <laughs> For me, that was special. That was special. Or that Sunday, just this fall after Dan Olson passed away, where Brent actually led us in worship and we sang the words of the hymn, The Solid Rock, which Dan, if you remember, had gone off script and sung in the middle of his sermon on July 4th, one of his final sermons. That was special. Do you remember those times of worship? Those meaningful and memorable times of worship? Those uplifting and encouraging times of worship? Those convicting yet healing times of worship? Those undeniable movements of God, times of worship? Do you remember those times of worship? The psalmist does. And I think he looks back to them so that he can look forward in hope, trusting that God will meet him again in special ways in worship. We must remember the joy of worshiping God with the people of God. Number three, third application. In our fight for hope in God, we must preach to our own souls. We must preach to our own souls. Look again at verse five. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. Now, I think we all preach to ourselves a lot more than we realize. I think we all have a little internal preacher inside of us, and sometimes he's self-motivating. Come on, Dylan, you can do it, Dylan. Let's go, Dylan. And sometimes he's self-deprecating. I can't believe you did that, Dylan. You're such an idiot, Dylan. You're so stupid, Dylan. You'll never get it right, Dylan. Sometimes he's self-aggrandizing. You're the best, Dylan. You're so awesome, Dylan. Everybody loves you, Dylan. Sometimes he's self-justifying. You deserve this, Dylan. You're only doing this because they're doing that, Dylan. Or he's self-protecting or self-obsessing or some other kind of self-word, and then every so often, by the grace of God, he kinda just shuts up and says, Dylan, get out of the way and just look to God. Hope in God. And that's the kind of preaching the psalmist is doing, right? Because he's not saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? Pick yourself up and try again. You got this, you can do this, come on. No. And he's not saying, why are you cast down, oh my soul? It's your fault. You got yourself into this mess. You made this bed, now lie in it. No. 
And he's not saying, why are you cast down, oh my soul? You're awesome. Everybody loves you. You have no reason to be cast down. You should be lifted up. No. No, he doesn't say any of that. He, instead, he says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. And you can see so clearly this, this internal struggle within him, right? Because, because when he says, on the one hand, why are you cast down, oh my soul? He's admitting that a part of him really feels hopeless. But then when he responds to that feeling by saying, hope in God, soul, he's showing us that he knows deep down that there is hope for him still. And I'll just give you one little anecdote from history. Uh, Martin Luther, the Reformation 95 Theses guy, he wrote a lot about this internal struggle between what he felt and what he knew. And one of those things in particular that he really struggled with was God's love for him, even in his sin. And so one way that he preached to himself God's love for him, and I'm not recommending that any of us do this because, well, these days it might get us put on some special kind of medication, but he would write Bible verses about God's love right on the walls in his home. And he would carve Bible verses about God's love into his kitchen table. And he even writes about how unhappy his wife was about it. But, but he was desperate. He was desperate, and so he did something radical to make sure that he would never be able to forget the truth that he knew about God's deep and abiding love for him. And so as a battle rages on within the psalmist's own soul between what he feels and what he knows, he preaches to his own soul of the only real hope he knows, which is the God of all hope, Romans 15, 13. We must preach to our own souls. Number four, in our fight for hope in God, we must affirm God's sovereign love for us. We must affirm God's sovereign love for us. And there's a reason I have it, sovereign love. There's a reason it says sovereign love, and you'll see in just a second. Uh, look again at verses seven through eight A. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. So this might be a little hard to understand, but, but here's the gist of things. When the psalmist says deep calls to deep, he's saying that the profound depth of his pain is calling out to the profound depth of God's love, which he affirms in verse eight, okay? And he describes this pain of his by three metaphors, waterfalls, breakers, and waves. But notice what he says about each of them. He calls them your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. So what he's saying is this, 
Lord, I know that you have sovereignly, providentially ordained these things in my life, these proverbial waterfalls, breakers, and waves which have brought me pain, and it's deep pain. But I know that it's not because you hate me, but because you love me deeply. In other words, the psalmist knows that his pain has a purpose, a loving purpose, and and he may not know exactly what that purpose is right now, but he knows that God is sovereignly orchestrating all things according to his purpose and plan for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. And, And there are so many great stories in the Bible, so many of them, showing us how, in the words of William Cooper, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I mean, we see it in the story of Joseph, for example. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we see it in the story of Moses, and in the stories of Ruth and Naomi, and in the story of Esther, and in the stories of all sorts of people who found themselves in really tough situations that they never asked for. But eventually, in hindsight, they were able to look back and, and see more clearly what God was up to all along. And of course, it's one thing to do that in hindsight. It's a whole other thing to do that in the present when we are right in the thick of it. It's really hard. I get it. It's, it's so hard to trust that God knows what he's up to or, or, or to trust that God is even up to anything in our pain. But for the psalmist, perhaps because of his life experience and, and all of the things he's seen God do in his life over the years, I don't know exactly how, but somehow the psalmist is able to affirm God's sovereign love for him in his pleasure and in his pain. We must affirm God's sovereign love for us. Okay, number five, last application. In our fight for hope in God, we must sing to God. We must sing to God. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you knew this. Scripture references singing more than 400 times and commands us to sing no less than 50 times, five zero times. In fact, get this, there are more commands in Scripture to sing than there are to pray and to preach combined. And there are so many occasions in in the Bible where we see the people of God singing together. Uh, For example, in, in Exodus chapter 15, right after the Exodus from Egypt, Moses and the Israelites sing a song of God's deliverance together. And in Matthew chapter 26, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, he and his disciples sing hymns together. And in Revelation chapter five, before the throne of God and the lamb, the elders and the angels and the living creatures all sing a new song of worship to the Lord. 
And there is so much more that could be said here on this topic that we just don't have time to get into this morning, so I'll just say this. Notice that two of our applications this morning have something to do with singing. And look at this psalm. It's a song. All the psalms are. They're all songs that were sung in worship in ancient Israel. And did you know that the book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible? Did you know that? In other words, the single largest chunk of scripture that we have dealing with any particular subject or anything, it's a hymnal. It's a book of songs to be sung. Singing is such a powerful weapon in our fight for hope in God because it helps us remember certain things about God that we need to remember. And I also think that music, somehow, by God's design, amazingly, somehow, music allows things to sink into our souls in ways that normal speech can't always do. I don't know if I can fully explain that one, but I think you know it's true. And the psalmist knows this. And so he sings to the Lord in the night, sending those powerful truths all the way down in in sweet and pleasant melodies all the way down into that deep and dark place that his soul had sunk within him. We must sing to God. Now, in closing, we need to ask one more question of this psalm, and that is, where is Jesus in all this? Have you been wondering? Where is Jesus in all this? Well, when I read this psalm, I cannot help but think of the one who, like the psalmist, experienced great affliction from his enemies. The one who, like the psalmist, was so distraught, even to the point of sweating blood, and yet affirmed God's sovereign love for him, saying, not my will, but yours be done. The one who, like the psalmist said, I thirst, parched and weak and alone when he was hanging from a cross. The one who, like the psalmist said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing actual separation from God the Father when he was hanging from a cross. The one who perhaps perhaps was remembering just the night before singing songs of worship with his disciples when he was hanging on a cross. And why was Jesus hanging from a cross? Well, he was substituting himself, laying down his life, giving up all hope of his own 
to make atonement for hopeless sinners like you and me whose sins against the holy God had damned us all to hopelessness and hell forever. That's why Jesus was hanging from a cross. And that was the only way that we could be brought into relationship with the God of all hope and have any real hope in this world at all. And so, Christian, as you long for God, as you long for God, remember that the only reason you can be near to God is because Jesus experienced separation from God upon the cross. And as you remember the joy of worshiping God with the people of God, remember that those those memorable and special times of worship are only possible because Jesus' song, the one he shared with his disciples, was silenced upon the cross. And as you preach to your own souls, remember that the only reason you can hope in God is because Jesus gave up all hope of his own upon the cross. And as you affirm God's sovereign love for you, remember that your pain has a purpose, a loving purpose, because Jesus' pain had a purpose, a loving purpose upon the cross. And as you sing to God, remember that we don't just have nice songs to sing or fun songs to sing, but we have powerful sin-defeating Savior songs to sing because Jesus was a sin-defeating Savior upon the cross, and that's powerful. Amen. And so, as we fight for hope in God, may we fight from the hope that we already have because of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we won't ever feel hopeless. But it does mean that we won't ever be hopeless. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna take communion this morning to help us remember this hope that we have in Jesus. Oh Lord God, I thank you for this word this morning. Lord, it is such a comfort just to know that I'm not alone. I'm not the only believer who experiences spiritual dryness and feelings of hopelessness and all the other effects of the problems that are the result of living in this broken and fallen world under the curse of sin. Lord, I thank you that there is hope for us still, or that there is hope for me still. And Lord, I know that it's only because of your grace. It's only because of the sin-defeating Savior. It's only because of your Holy Spirit's work in the lives of your people whom you love so deeply. So Lord, when those dark seasons of life come, and perhaps some of us are walking through those right now, Lord, help us in those seasons to fight for hope by looking to you and by singing to you the God of all hope, And Lord, for those here who are acutely suffering this morning for whatever reason, maybe their soul has hit rock bottom or or they're at the end of their rope in some situation 
or they're feeling so distant from you, Lord, I just pray that by your grace, your presence in their lives would be known and felt as they walk out of this room this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you that there is hope for us still because of Jesus. And we pray these things for your glory alone. Amen.